You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So I'm excited to kick off this series on the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of divided into two sections. I'm going to take the first section today, verses uh, 9 and 10 from Matthew chapter 6. If you want to go over here and turn there to your Bibles, get ready. And then over the next three weeks, some other guys are going to unpack that second section, which actually deals with what God wants to provide for you and I through our prayers. So come Tuesday. Tuesday, big day, huh? This Tuesday, I hear some stomachs already churning just at the mention of Tuesday. So it's a big day at our house too. It's for house president. And Christian, Sophie, and little Isabella, they've been doing their campaigning for several weeks. And yesterday we actually had a press conference. Christian called a press conference. Sophie thought it was a good idea, so she immediately followed. They once again laid out their policies, laid out their plans for house president. And then Bella wanted to follow everything up as well. And it was really sweet watching her lay out her policies. It began with, hey, no candy every day, succinct. No candy every day. Second policy, no more getting in mommy's purse for lipstick. No more doing that. And then the next thing, before we even know it, no transition, just before I know it, she's over here doing this little dance number. We don't even dance in our house. I don't even know where that came from. But it was just sweet watching them lay out their policies and Bella laying out her policy. And if I'm honest with you, my prayer life can be just like Bella's policy. No candy every day. No more getting in mommy's purse for lipstick. That's just language that she's heard. And then before you know it, she's over here dancing around. If I'm not extremely intentional with my prayers, all I do is lean on language that I hear other people using. And it's not really me before this great God. And if I'm not really intentional, before you know it, I'm over here dancing around the topic of which I was bringing to God in the first place. My mind can drift and I can wander. What about you? How's the intentionality going with your prayer time? You know, the Lord's Prayer is actually a pushback, and we're going to get, this in, get to this in a few moments. The Lord's Prayer is actually a pushback on the top popular expression of prayer in the day of Jesus. But when we hit the first two verses of this first section of the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 and 10, Jesus lays out a very simple, succinct model for you and I to follow when we're praying. Not specifically these words, but a guide, a tool, if you will. And we read these words. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the more I studied for this, prayed about it, prepped, researched, and just thought about this context, I thought, you know, I'm really going to explain kingdom and will. And I thought, you know what? No, 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 no. Just back off a little bit. Because these two things are very synonymous. In other words, if the will is playing out, the will of the Father, then the kingdom has come. And when his kingdom comes, then his will will be accomplished. So there's some synonymity there with these two terms. But the teacher in me said, no, 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 David, use this. Don't pass this opportunity up. Teach about the kingdom. So what I want to do is I want to be technical about the kingdom 
very practical about the will, and then with the remainder of our time, do a little coaching on the topic of prayer. Sound good? So when you think about the kingdom, Jesus is going to present this already but not yet style of the kingdom. The Jews in Jesus' day, they were longing, longing for a visible kingdom. Politics and power, law, land, visible symbols of a national identity. And it was just a reflection of a striking reality for the Jewish people. Silence. 400 years of silence. No judge, no prophet, no king, no word from the Lord, silence. When you take your Bible and you open it, there's two sections. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament ends with Malachi and the New Testament opens with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In between those sections, there's 400 years where God was silent. He said nothing to his people. It's during those four centuries that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, that they come on the scene. And the Pharisees were a religious group and they dealt with the structure of the synagogue. Synagogue worship, the Pharisees were in charge of it. When you got to the Sadducees, they were in charge of the temple and they had that connection with Judaism and Rome. They were the aristocrats, if you will. And then the Zealots, they were ready to rise up in rebellion against Rome at a moment's notice. And they were all longing for this visible kingdom. The arrival of the Messiah would be God's hero to help Israel rekindle her kingdom. Unfortunately for them, Jesus, he came and he looked for an invisible reign of God. Notice this teaching from John chapter 5, Jesus. John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and those who believe in God who sent me, they have eternal life. Get this, they will never be condemned for their sins. They have already passed from death into life. You and I already have passed from death into life. Already but not yet, because we will still die physically. You can think of it like this. When midnight strikes, there's already a new day, but not yet if you clock in at eight. There's already a new day at midnight, but not yet if you go to the gym at six. Already, but not yet. We've already passed from death to life in this invisible kingdom of God. It's beautiful. You're already a Christian but not yet complete. And this is what caused the tension between Jews and Jesus in his day. They didn't get this because they longed for this visible sign of God's kingdom. These symbols of power and politics, of law and land, but they were absent. I want you to take this next verse and circle it in your Bible, put an asterisk by it, write it down in your footnotes, write it down in the back of your Bible. Please, know this next text because when you are talking about the kingdom this verse is so overlooked but it's imperative that you know it and I want you to walk away this morning with a working definition of the kingdom of God I have some books that are like this thick about the kingdom of God we can't get into all that but I want you to walk away this morning with a working definition of the kingdom and this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 
1 Corinthians 15, this is Paul, and he's talking about the resurrection in the last day. He says, in Adam, all of us die. In the same way, in Christ, all of us will be made alive again. But everyone will be raised to life in the right order. Christ was first to be raised, and get this, when Christ comes again, those who belong to him will be raised to life, and then the end will come. At that time, Christ will destroy all rulers, authorities, and powers, and he'll do what? He will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. What kingdom? The kingdom that's already here. This invisible kingdom in which people are already passing from death into life. This kingdom over which Christ is reigning now, presently, as he sits at the right hand of God the Father. When the end comes and Christ returns, then he hands over this invisible kingdom and God becomes all in all. Isn't that amazing? The kingdom is now. So when we lift our voices to God and say, your kingdom come, there's this idea that we're not looking for national symbols. We're not looking for political power or land or even law. We're looking for a shift in our spiritual psyche. Something is happening from within. God's kingdom is expanding through you and you and you and us in this invisible way. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus addresses it very clearly. Some of the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus answered, well, God's kingdom is coming, but not in a way that you will be able to see with your eyes. People will not say, hey, look, there it is, or there it is, because God's kingdom, it's within you. When we're intentional with our prayers, we come before God and we say sacrificially and we say humbly, God, your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom ethic take root within who I am. Your kingdom expand through my influence, through this life that has already passed from death into life as you define it, God. That's amazing. Your kingdom come in me we go on to your will be done your will be done I've really wrestled with whether to tell you this story or not you know we all have skeletons in our closet right am I the only one with a past yeah okay you got one too good that makes me feel better but I've really wrestled because you know you get a feel for people I've been hanging around here for about 18 months or so you get a feel for people and you reveal some things and they respond to that give you feedback and it's a little more safe you feel a little more comfortable and then you try to press it a little more and say okay well what, what else can I reveal and what else can these people know about me and I'm thinking if I tell them this are they going to say oh my gosh what was this guy doing so if you're as bad as I am, as I'm telling this story, will you just stand up so other people can see that, hey, I'm not the only guy in here with a broken past? Okay. So when I was young, I'm talking like 20, 21 years ago. Gosh, can I really say that? When I was young, 21 years ago. 21 years ago, roughly that, about that time, I was spiraling south at a rapid rate. I mean, I was on the wrong path, doing the wrong things. And life hit me so hard or maybe I should say I hit a wall in life 
I was traveling out of town, just about an hour and a half out of town, and I shouldn't have been. I had a commitment with my parents, but I broke that commitment and I was traveling out of town. I needed to be back in about three hours. Unfortunately, whatever I was going to be doing out of town was going to take about 20 minutes, and the trip was about an hour and 15 minutes. So if you do the math, I don't have enough time to get back, right, before my parents find out. So I'm booking it. On a 55 mile per hour road, I'm doing 85. It's a four lane road, I'm going this way. Four lane road, up ahead, I see a cruiser. No lights or anything, but I see a cruiser, and I'm like, oh no, 30 over, I'm already probably gonna be in trouble with my parents, what's this gonna turn into? So when our cars come, when we pass, I look over at him, and I can see into his driver's seat, I kid you not, this isn't a dramatic retelling. I look over there and we make eye contact. So I know this is going to be problematic. So I get scared, you know, 17, 18 years old. I'm freaking out. And I'm thinking, okay, what should I do? Well, the obvious solution is to slow down and find a place to hide. (laughs) Right? So in my attempt to slow down and find a place to hide, I miss the break or something. The car starts fishtailing. My parents are here. My parents are here this morning, so if you need to validate this story, my parents are here. I start fishtailing, and I'm trying to pull off at a gas station, but we're not slowing down. And I hit the pumps. I hit the pumps, and the whole system there is knocked about 25 feet in the distance, and the car is just hovering over these fumes. So when I heard someone else retell the story, they said, they tacked on to the end of the story, and we have no explanation why there wasn't an explosion. We have no explanation. I have one explanation. When you think about the will of God in your life and you say, God, your will be done. I've heard that question being involved in church work for nearly 20 years. I've heard that question a multitude of times. And usually it's a broad aerial perspective. Hey, what's God's will for my life holistically overall? And then sometimes people narrow the focus and it's more of a feet on the ground. They're like, what's God's will for my life in this particular moment, in this decision or this event I'm facing? What's, what's God's will? And to answer that question, because it puzzled me for some time, to answer that question, I developed this thing called the four R's. And I ask people, well, where are you on the 4R rating scale? The 4R rating scale. And the first R is reason. And these four R's come from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Very popular text. We'll read it together. In view of God's mercy, I know one explanation of why those pumps did not explode. God was merciful to me and the passenger in the vehicle. Why, I don't know. But without his mercy, I would not be here. When you're in this realm, and I can be so self-sufficient, so self-sufficient that I don't need my wife at times, I don't need extended family, and I don't need God. I get a clearer vision of what I want and I go 110% that way and I'm so self-sufficient. Any of you like that? Yeah. In view of God's mercy, there is a need that you and I have for God. 
And this is the reason for you and I moving forward in life in view of God's mercy. It's not our self-sufficiency. It's God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. There's a response to God's mercy. A response. And it's to offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is kind of paradoxical, right? I mean, if you have a sacrifice, it dies. But you and I are to respond to God's mercy as living sacrifices. Day by day, allowing this kingdom to come in your life and my life. Dying to our desires that move us away from his purposes. And living incrementally more and more and more in his will in this invisible kingdom. But this is challenging. This response. You and Journeys are saying, wow, where did he learn to write that clearly on a whiteboard? This response takes some reworking. In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrificing, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't conform to the world. We're conditioned to conform to anything the world throws our way. We're conditioned for that. So transformation, change, life change occurs where? In the mind, how you think. And this is desperately essential for prayer. Transformation through the way you think. That's where life change happens. You don't conform to the patterns of the world. You're transformed by a renewed mind. And what happens? God rewards us. He rewards us. You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then, then, you can understand, you can test, you can approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, perfect will That's our reward. So I'd ask you the next time you say, what is God's will for my life? Or what is God's will for the direction in this season of my life? Where do you fall on this 4R rating scale? Self-sufficient? Working out the details of already but not yet. I'm trying to die to myself and live in this kingdom, but I'm not yet complete. So I'm trying to really make sure God's ways are becoming my ways. Or is it the way you think? And may I ask, how intentional is your prayer life? Look how closely this reworking is to the reward. Transformed by the way you think. Then you understand what this beautiful, good, pleasing will of God is. Beautiful. So the Lord's Prayer is actually pushback on the popular expression of prayer in the day of Jesus. Uh, The people in the synagogues, some of the Pharisees and Sadducees were responsible for this. But they were praying to be seen and to be heard by men. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, the verses that just precede the Lord's Prayer, so you can see the context of it, we read this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their full, their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. And do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you see that deficiency? So you've got some people praying so that they can be seen and so they can be heard. And they think that if they're seen and heard by other people, that praise from other people will fill that deficiency they have. We do the exact same thing with God. We want to be seen and we want to be heard by God as if we've got to get his attention somehow. So what do we do? We say, well, when you pray, you've got to bow your head. Or you have to close your eyes. Or you have to drop to your knees. And if we do that, then maybe God will listen. Or you have to say, well, no, there's a formula to it. You've got to use the right words. Or you've got to pray an extended period of time. Then he kicks in and sees that you're serious about it. So he starts listening. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about the position, and it's not about the words that you're using. Well, we do this thing in journeys. Um, first, let me tell you this, getting ahead of myself. There was nothing wrong with praying in the streets like these guys. Nothing wrong with praying in public in the streets or in the synagogue. Nothing wrong with praying for extended periods of time. It's the motive that's the matter. We actually have a record of Jesus praying in the words of the gospel all night long. And we see that people pray in public, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's the motive to be seen or heard. So we do this thing in journeys. We close journeys out every Sunday. It's one of our adult classes, second service. We close journeys out, and I don't pray. I typically teach a class, but I don't pray. Instead, we get quiet, and we ask for someone to step up and pray. And they're not stepping up to be seen. They're not stepping up to be heard. Instead, they're stepping up to cultivate this spiritual communication between God and between man. So we don't want to be seen and heard. And there's nothing wrong with praying in public. There's nothing wrong with praying extended period of time. So that's not what we're saying. But it's the motive. So if you're approaching God saying, well, if I keep on praying about this, no. Jesus says, don't do that. He already knows what you need. You don't have to get his attention. He's fully aware of what you and I need. Fully aware. And he says, you don't have to get in a certain position either. If there's any position, it's to be alone. That's the position, to be alone. So go to your closet, lock the door where it's just you and God so you can be intentional about this. Prayer. Prayer puts you and I in a position to hear from God. We're the ones doing the speaking but prayer puts us in a position to hear from God. So we've got this thing at the Green family we do. And it's just like a three-phase strategy to really boost um, self-discipline and self-leadership in the family and in specific with our kiddos. So what we do is it's called listen, learn, lead. And if there's a new activity or a new responsibility that the kiddos want to take on or that Michelle and I need the kiddos to take on and they want to lead that, they have to learn about themselves first. They have to learn their strengths, their weaknesses. 
kind of discern if they have the capacity to carry this out. But before they learn about themselves, they've got to listen. And we encourage them to be intentional with their prayers and to really listen for God and what he's doing in their lives. Listen first. Good example. Christian wanted a dog. This is a couple of months ago. He came to Michelle and I and he said, hey, mom and dad, I think we should get a dog. Well, we're immediately like, nope, we're not dog people, at least at this stage in our lives. No dog, no animals of any kind. So he comes back a couple of weeks later. He's like, hey, mom and dad, I really want a dog. And here's why I want a dog. And we're like, no, no, not hearing it. We're not dog people. He comes back a third time and he says, you know, this is really what's going on. This is why I want a dog. I think every little boy should have a dog. And that time, um, I kind of get it. And I'm like, oh, there's something more going on here. This little fellow wants a dog, right? But this is huge. There's got to be a lesson that we can teach him in this in some capacity. So Christian and I talk about it. And I'm like, okay, Christian, I'm 95% convinced. 95% convinced to get a dog for you. But here's what it's going to require to move me, the other 5%, into being fully on board with getting a puppy. And he's like, okay. So he's excited, he's stoked that I'm 95% in. He goes to Michelle. He says, mommy, daddy's 95% in. How far are you in with getting a dog? And she's like, oh, five, <laughs> 10 percent. And this poor little fella, you see his head. He's just bummed. All hope is just stripped away from him. So I see that and I go to him the next day and I say, hey, Christian, listen, I know mommy's not on board and you've got some work to do to move me the other 5%, but don't be discouraged. Uh, Don't be discouraged. Go to your mother and lead her. And you know, I tell Christian this all the time, leadership is about influence. Like, don't be discouraged. Don't give up. What you need to do now is you need to influence your mother. I don't know when I say that. Is that the right language that I should have been telling my son? You've got to influence your mom. So I said, go to her. Find out specifically her questions, her concerns about you having a dog. He brightens back up. He goes. He finds out that Michelle's concerned about having a small dog. She doesn't want a small dog that sits on the back of a chair or a couch and yaps all the time. She doesn't want to clean up any hair. Any shedding is a problem. And she's thinking about overall cost. So Christian considers that. He goes back. Check this out. This is his. I asked if, if I could borrow it. He goes back and he does some research. Right? And you can see this isn't just filler paper. They're all written on. This is his research over a couple of weeks' time researching dogs that don't shed, dogs that don't yap a lot, and the overall cost of having a puppy for about six months or a year's time, including shots and food and getting one of the microchips and all this stuff. He's doing this research. He even moved himself a little bit. He was originally looking at for a Maltese because of the size. Uh, And I think they're hypoallergenic. I'll have to check with Christian. I'm not sure. But he moved into a golden doodle. Check this out. He did this. And he presented this to his mom. After learning and listening and hearing her concerns, her questions. Eight days later... This is what happened. Check this pick out. Eight 
days later, he gets a puppy. I want to know what happened in that 90%. How did he move her like that? He listened. He was the one coming with the request. He was the one coming to do the speaking. But he put himself in a position to listen. And I know typically when we pray, you know, we come and we're the ones doing the speaking. We're the ones with the requests. But prayer puts you and I in a position to listen. We see this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Notice the language. We are certain that God will hear our, hear our prayers when we ask for what pleases him. And if we know that God listens when we pray, we are sure that our prayers have already been answered. Do you see that language? What if I'd read the second sentence first and just stopped? We know that God listens when we pray and we're sure that our prayers have already been answered. That's not how it goes. What's the first sentence? We are certain that God will hear our prayers when we ask for what pleases him. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Prayer puts you and I in a position to hear the questions and concerns of our great God. I thought it was great last week when Steve Idle was talking about prayer near the end of his teaching. And he said, one thing about getting a prayer, get a plan. Do you remember that? I thought that was phenomenal. Get a plan. And may I add, get a place. Get a place as well. When you have a plan and a place for your prayers, you can be intentional and you can avoid empty prayers where you're just leaning on the language of other people or things you've heard and it's not personal. You can avoid just dancing around the topic or letting your mind wander. You can avoid faultless, empty prayers when you have a plan and a place. I was talking with Monty about this series late last week and he and I are in full agreement that prayer is this beautiful privilege to speak to the creator of our cosmos we come before him and we listen and we learn and then we lead your kingdom come your will be done and for that to happen on earth just like it is in heaven it happens within us over time adopting this kingdom ethic and living in this invisible kingdom as men and women moving from death to life already now. When I was thinking about having a place, I was reading through my personal uh, devotional time. I was going through the Gospel of Mark and it immediately hit me how intentional Jesus was with his prayer life and having a plan and a place. And I thought, oh my gosh, if that's that important to Jesus, well, it's got to be that important to me as well. And I was reading through this and there were a, kind of a system of things he did. And I was like, I got, I got to start doing that. I have to start doing that. So for some time now, around 5.30, I get up, leave the house, and I come over here to our chapel upstairs. And it's a familiar place. And I'm there nearly every day. And I'm praying and I'm listening. And I kid you not, it has been one of the most powerful and refreshing experiences of my spiritual life. Because every morning at 5.30, I have a plan and a place. 
This doesn't come from me. It comes from the example of Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Notice what Jesus does. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house. He went to a solitary place. And he prayed. I've got to ask you, do you have a plan and a place for your prayer life? where you can really come before God and position yourself to listen from your heavenly Father and pray, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life. Get a plan and get a place. Very early in the morning may not work for you. When are you most alive in tune, alive in your own skin, mentally alert, Maybe that's the time for you, but get a plan, get a place. So in closing, I, I've, I've got to reference Tuesday again. I got to reference Tuesday again. Sorry, sorry again, but I've got to reference Tuesday. Tuesday's coming up and it's a chunk of time in this already not yet tension that we live in. This transition where people are passing from death to life already, but still waiting for Jesus to come in the end to swoop down and the kingdom to be fulfilled in its ultimate expression. And Tuesday's a block of time in this transition. And it's an opportunity for you and I, a beautiful opportunity for you and I to get together, come before our God and pray for a couple of people, regardless of character, regardless of policy, regardless of party you and I can come together and we can pray for Mr. Donald Trump and Mrs. Hillary Clinton we can pray for them yes we can pray for God to do great things in our nation we can pray for um, our values and our system and the things that are going to accentuate the church to flow from Tuesday But whether that happens or not, you and I can pray for these two individuals, the next president of the United States of America. And you know what will happen when you and I pray for those two individuals? God will be so pleased with you and I. And that's not something I'm just spitting out there. That's Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 2, first four verses. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them to intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Regardless of how you feel about the candidates or this coming Tuesday, a prayer for them to intercede on their behalf will please our God, the one that we pray to, your kingdom come and your will be done. Philip Yancey's book, 21 years old, this book is, 21 years old, The Jesus I Never Knew. And I was reading through this recently and a couple of paragraphs, oh, they speak to the 21st century, even though this book is 21 years old. He says, nowadays, as the U.S. grows increasingly secularized, 
It appears that the church and state are heading in different directions. And the more I understand Jesus' message of the kingdom of God, the less alarmed I feel over that trend, over that separation. Our real challenge, the focus of our energy, energy should not be to Christianize the United States, but rather to strive to be God's kingdom in an increasingly hostile world. I would prefer, I must admit, to live in a country where the majority of people follow the Ten Commandments, act with civility toward each other, and bow their heads once a day for a non-partisan prayer. I feel a certain nostalgia for the climate of the 1950s in which I grew up. But even if that environment does not return, I will not lose any sleep. As America slides, I will work and I will pray for his kingdom, his kingdom to advance. After all, if the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church, the contemporary political scene hardly offers much of a threat. Your kingdom come. Father, your will be done. Now is an opportunity for you to just stay seated. Position yourself in prayer and listen. Listen for questions, concerns that your God may have for your life as you live out this kingdom ethic. We're going to listen to a beautiful song and it can guide you in this spiritual communication with the creator of the cosmos. And don't underestimate how his will and his kingdom will be playing out in your life. Father, we know that you love us and we pray that you can know that we love you through how we live. Your kingdom come, your will be done.